Hello, my name is Philip Miraton, and today we are going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution, to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. One of the challenges in our modern age is to find a way to unite science with spirituality. And this is an age-old quest, and it's probably becoming more important as we go through the years here in the 21st century. We could start this show with a quote from Niels Bohr, who we may recall won the Nobel Prize in Physics in the 1920s and is most famous, probably, for winning a debate with Einstein over the interpretation of quantum theory. Now, Niels Bohr had this quote, which I think is very appropriate. He said, We all agree that your theory is crazy, when speaking to a colleague, but the question that divides us is whether it is crazy enough to have a chance of being correct. And maybe that's the problem. We don't have a theory today that is broad enough or crazy enough to encompass the full range of human experience. And one of these phenomenon that science does not accept is this thing called channeling. In fact, channeling probably is on the outskirts of what science would consider to be even possibly real. So today we're going to take a little different approach to this. We're going to learn how to channel spirits. Our guest today is an experienced channel. His name is Shepard Hoodwin. He's the author of a book entitled Journey of Your Soul, A Channel Explores the Michael Teachings. Welcome to the show, Shepard. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. I'd like to start off with something sort of very basic here because some folks out there may not know much about channeling so let's let's first have you tell us what is channeling channeling is any means of accessing non-human intelligence through our own consciousness it's something that people have been doing in virtually every civilization since the beginning of civilizations uh, it's gone by a lot of different names. There's been the high priests and priestesses, the oracles at Delphi, the shamans, uh, the mediums, and so forth. And they're all basically what today we call channeling. Well, one of the things about channeling is that it assumes that there is a spiritual dimension or spiritual world out there that we do not have access to with our five senses, right? I mean, there is some, so, it, so it's premised on the belief that there is a different dimension out there, or a different world of sorts. We live in a multidimensional universe, and this is something that uh, modern physics is coming around to, confirming what has been taught in mystical traditions for thousands of years. And so, uh, we focus on the world of our five senses and a lot of people only believe what their five senses tell them but we also hear talk of a sixth sense and intuition and there is built into every human being a capacity to tune into levels of consciousness beyond the five senses but most of us don't exercise that faculty very much one of the one of the questions here though is to, to me, is, is there a sharp distinction between what some people might view as inspiration and channeling? Or are they different stops on a continuum? 
I believe that when someone is doing something worthwhile, they are never creating alone. Uh, it's not in a vacuum. We all have uh, non-physical assistance in our lives. And the reason that more of us aren't aware of this is that a, a lot of it sounds like it's just coming from our own thoughts. Right. So sometimes it's hard to sort out if something is my own thought or if it is inspiration from uh, a higher plane of being. And we do so natively, so naturally work together with our non-physical guides and teachers that if that were suddenly taken away, we would notice it. It would feel very odd indeed. But because we're used to it, we don't necessarily validate it. It's like the uh, common uh, analogy of uh, fish don't know that they're in water. Right. But if you took the water away, they would definitely know it. So um, we attract collaboration when we are creating something worthwhile. And whether an idea comes strictly from our own minds or from invisible guidance, it's can, it can be hard to sort that out. Well, I think one of the, the points that you make in your book that I would agree with, and, and this, this, is, this is consistent with a theme that we are seeing gaining in popularity, I think, which is that we are really spiritual beings having a, having a physical experience. And so many of us are raised with the notion, for example, of having a, a guardian angel. Uh, in the Christian uh, trilogy, there is the, the Holy Spirit. We all sort of seek guidance from higher powers in times of deep emotional need. And I tend to think that we are really spiritual beings. And one of the problems with our current culture is that we've been forced to close that off and sort of pretend we're really machines. Now, now, I don't know whether, hopefully things are getting better. And that's one of the reasons I, I want to discuss that a little bit. But, but, but what do you think about that? I mean, I, I think that that one of the problems we have is that we, we don't recognize our own spiritual essence. One of the concepts in the Michael teachings, which is Michael is the name of the primary entity that I channel, is called Soul Age. Soul Age suggests that we are, as you say, eternal souls. And when we first begin incarnating as humans on Earth, in our first lifetimes, we are called an inf infant souls. And we go through a period of development. We move from infant to baby to young to mature and to old. And the average human being on Earth now is around fifth level young. And it is, we've just come off fourth level young, which is the period of greatest um, individuality. So, you could look at the, the journey of your soul, the name of my book, as starting from total oneness with the all that is, and we decide to individuate, to partake of the illusion that we're separate. Right. And we become more and more separate because the Tao, the all that is, wants to have individuated experiences. It wants to do a lot of little experiments. And so it has to fragment itself and has to make believe that it is separate for a while. And so we've just, as humanity, around the time of World War II, we were in consciousness the most individuated and the most um, alienated in the negative side of that is alienation, where we believe to an extreme that we are separate from the Tao, and that we are all um, little sort of bags of consciousness in, in separate skins. That's not really the, the reality, but um, we took that to an extreme. And now we're just slowly starting to come back, to moving toward unification. And a lot of, like, for example, Hindu teachings are all about finding unification with the all that is. That is something that's happening naturally. We don't have to 
do anything to make that happen. But if we become more conscious that that is what's happening, we can eliminate some of the rough edges of this process. Yeah, there's a lot in there, that's for sure, because I, I personally think that the more you can align this channeling method, this experience, with historic mystical traditions, the more true it starts sounding. And I think a lot of people t would tend to sort of classify what we call as channeling on the shelf with the paranormal and things that are too strange to think about. But, but it, it, in reality, channeling to me starts sounding like sort of controlled inspiration or, or a controlled, a mastered connection to the spirit. Instead of yes. just instead of just hoping that that the right idea will come to you or the answer will come to you, you know, while exercising or while sleeping or by pure luck, it's it's some kind of of intentional uh, control of of the spiritual essence. The, that's 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 the way I'm that's the way I'm I'm looking at it right now. Is, is, that, is that something that's accurate from your experience or not? I love that. I think that's great. I hadn't quite thought of it like that before, but I think that's right on the head. Well, that's interesting because, you know, the, and this whole concept of spirits uh, who started as one individual individuates or separates into the many and then comes back and realizes they were one after all i mean i personally think that is that's the story of the evolution of consciousness and there's a there's been a number of people on this show such as anton st martin from south africa uh who has exactly the same thinking and and again that is not necessarily an original thought it's just it's becoming sort of more front and center, I think, right now with this with this rise in consciousness that I think is bubbling up at the surface. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Michael because some people may never have heard of Michael. Michael is not actually a person, right? Correct. Right, and it's really just a name given to uh, a group of entities. Why don't you talk a little bit about the history of Michael and, 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 where, and where you fit in. In 1973, uh, there uh, was a group of spiritual seekers, uh, middle-class, uh, middle-aged uh, people, maybe about 20 or so, who would meet in, in various of their members' living rooms and, and they would work on different types of explorations. Um, several of them had been member of a Gurdjieff group. Gurdjieff was a Russian philosopher uh, starting in 1969 and around 1971 they started playing with the Ouija board and started getting messages uh, channeling um, mostly at that point at first an extraterrestrial from another planet which I know sounds pretty far out but um, then they started channeling a spirit guide from the astral plane and in 1973 they made contact with a group from the causal plane. Now, in the theosophy and also in the Michael teachings and several other metaphysical teachings, there's the concept that the physical plane where we dwell in the body is just the first of seven planes, and that when we're done with the physical plane, we will ascend through all the higher planes. And so uh, they started channeling from the physical plane, but a different planet, then the astral, which is the next one, and it's also where we are between lives. And then the one after that is the causal plane. The causal plane is a very intellectually oriented realm, whereas the astral is more emotional, and of course the physical is more tangible, more visceral, more about um, aliveness, about um, kinesthetic things like movement. So um, when Michael first came through, they wanted to know who are you? You know, wh what can we call you? And I've repeatedly seen that channeled entities, when they first are channeled, resist being named because they don't really have names or need names on their, their level. And then they finally relented and said, well, you can call us, Michael, because we're a group of 1,050 souls, 
And the last one to finish with the physical plane in his last lifetime had a name somewhat like Michael. So they started channeling this amazing material that explained how we as souls set up our lifetimes. They brought through a whole system, which is rather unprecedented in channeled literature. And um, they'd been at it a few years, and Sarah, who was herself an excellent writer, did not want to write a book, but she felt that the material needed to be out there, and Michael had asked them to please publish this material. Sarah met um, a novelist named Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough, who's particularly known for her horror novels, and she gave uh, Yarbrough the material, and Yarbrough published a book in 1978 called Messages from Michael, and it was a bestseller, especially when the, uh, the mass market paperback came out in 79. And between 78 and 95, Yarbrough published four Michael books, and these were the foundations of the Michael teachings. Uh, parallel to this, other people started contacting Michael, um, particularly in the Northern California area. A close friend of mine learned about messages from Michael around 1986, and she was very excited to share it with me. It just rang all sorts of bells with her. And so I thought, well, this is really interesting. I want to find a Michael channel. I was at work uh, one day, and it was quiet, and I thought, you know, I'm going to make some notes so I don't forget what questions to ask when I track down a Michael channel. I hadn't even found the book messages from Michael yet. I, I needed to go out and get that. Okay, just a second. I, I like you. Okay, first of all, this is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond science and religion we're talking to the channel shepherd hoodwin about messages from michael what what is before we go on what is michael i, I realize you know you said he's a, a, a collection of 10,000 of i'm sorry 1050 souls what does that what does that mean and and i think a natural question is why 10 why 1050 What's so special about that? Each of us is already part of a soul family. Okay. When we're all split up on the physical plane, you may know other people who are in your spiritual family, but of course, if you don't have a metaphysical teachings to give you that framework, you just know you feel particularly connected to that person, but you don't have an intellectual framework for understanding why. And point, yeah. each of us, when we are done with the physical plane, we will reunite with our spiritual families. And when we get to the causal plane, we will be a partially reunited entity, which is what Michael is. So uh, these entities, these spiritual families, all have roughly, very roughly, a thousand to two thousand souls in them. And they just happen in their group to have a thousand fifty souls. Wow! Wow! I mean, there's there's so many interesting facets to this whole thing. I mean, the this concept that there are sort of uh, soul soul imprints, and there's like a limited number of soul imprints. You know, people talk about their soulmates, and and I think you I think you touched upon something that that. Um, sort of resonates with me this this thing about where you happen to come across people that you may not even know but you sort of hit it off you're on the same you know uh, wavelength I mean that that's one we you know that's one way we call it or on the same plane or something and and I, it's it's really a fascinating way to look at things and I have to tell you I, I think one of our issues here Shepard in, in our modern world and I keep coming back to this is that we're so used to thinking that our essence are genes and particles and that when people say they're similar, well, we must share the same genes or the same DNA. But if you look at it from the spiritual perspective, what, what, you, what you say in this, and, and the Michael teachings start making more sense. You just completely change your perspective from looking at, at us as being collections of, of ball bearings to being collections of spiritual souls. So, so the differences in people would make no sense at all if you just looked at it from a mechanical um, standpoint. 
this is this, this is a, a very tiny detail, but it always amused me that uh, I was practically born hating buttons on shirts. Hmm. I always like pullover <laughs> shirts. I thought, where did that come yeah, from? I mean, you weird. can't yeah. say that I have a gene that would predispose <laughs> me for hating buttons and loving, yeah. you know, knit shirts. Yeah, yeah. Well, so um, there has to be some reason. And why do, as you point out, immediately click with some people? Because you do meet people and just know that you already know them. Right. And you feel that you are picking up where you left off with this, but you don't feel that with other people. So the soul connections and past lives are the only things that explain it. Uh, the Michael teachings and, and so many spiritual teachings make no sense at all if you don't include reincarnation in that. And I know a lot of Americans have trouble with that idea, but throughout the world it's said that a majority of people do believe in reincarnation. And uh, there was a, um, a researcher, uh, a university professor, Ian Stevenson, who wrote, I think, 20 books on this. He would go around the world interviewing very young children who had just learned how to talk, who had absolutely no way they could have known the things that they started telling their parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, and often these were souls who had just died in a, a neighboring visit, a village and they had just come back right. and they wanted to find, you know, I've got to find my wife or yeah. my dad or yeah. my other dad, you know, and they'd take these, he'd, they'd uh, uh, alert Stevenson, he would fly out with his crew and they would all go with this child to this other village, which maybe was a hundred miles away. And the two-year-old would start identifying landmarks and saying, you know, like, oh, yeah, um, the person who was my mother, uh, you know, lived over here. And they would corroborate all this stuff. So I don't think you can get better proof of reincarnation than that. But, uh, you know, talking a lot about science and scientists, a true scientist is very open-minded and just looks at the evidence. But we're all imperfect human beings, and there are a lot of scientists, just like a lot of people in religion, who have filters, and they simply do not want to believe the evidence. They don't want to believe that there's something beyond the physical. It really bothers them. It scares them. And so they dismiss, um, you know, solid evidence. Well, one of the passages that I use a lot in my own in my own writing, and, and I've, I've mentioned it on the show before, is uh, Steven Weinberg, who won the Nobel Prize in the 70s, I believe it was, for the electroweak theory. He has a book called Dreams of a Final Theory, where he says something like, um, there's no room for mind over matter, the paranormal, in the modern scientific worldview, because how do you measure that signal going from one mind to another or from one mind to the dice that you're rolling. And, and that's really the dilemma I think we're, we're faced with right now is this whole measurement thing. And, and But on the other hand, the reason why I, I raise that is that science today, particularly in cosmology, there's all sorts of invisible things out there. I mean, the multiverse being the biggest one, I mean, the multiverse is is essentially a near infinite number of other universes that we that we'll never be able to see or prove so that's a gigantic invisible um, uh, theory out there that that really is far I think it's I think the multiverse frankly is far more unbelievable than channeling to, 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 put, it, <laughs> to put it that way I mean now but but that's just me and 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 I'm different but on on this on this channeling thing, I think a, a question that a lot of people would have is is how is is how does the message come to you or come come to a channel? Is it, obviously you're not walking around with an Ouija board, right? And so you 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 started talking about some some writing that you were doing, uh, and, and I and I sort of interrupted you, but why don't you? But how does a channel get get the information? It happens in different ways for different people. There are a whole lot of ways that this can happen, and um, 
that's one of the things that I explore in the first section of Journey of Your Soul. How does channeling happen for different people? I can tell you how it happened for me is um, I was writing down my questions for when I found a Michael channel and my pencil kept moving and I got answers. And that's called automatic writing. It's the only time I ever did automatic writing. Mm. There's also conscious writing where you frame a question and you hear the words and you write them down rather than just something uh, automatically coming through you. Uh, a lot of channels speak and they bring the channeled entity into their body to some extent. It could be a little or it could be a lot. And they either hear the words that are coming through and repeat them or they let the entity actually come into their body enough to use their vocal cords and speak through them. That's how it works when I channel Michael. Um, so uh, there's a lot of different ways. The, the uh, first Michael channel did use a Ouija board. She stopped channeling for over a decade. When she came back to it, she used a laptop. Hmm. So... Um, the problem with the Ouija board is that she always needed to have someone else there to work it and then you call out the letters and you need to have a pretty large group of people to catch the words because um, it, can be, uh, come, it can come really fast and it can be hard to get it all down and make sense of it. So just typing it yourself is, is more practical. But the good thing about the Ouija board for them was that you really don't know what's coming through so you can't interfere with it. I, I don't know how many people grew up with the Ouija boards. I know I did. And I, I think for a while there, most people most people accepted Ouija boards as being as being real. I mean, I think I I guess I still do. I mean, it's really amazing that that today we may look back and say, Oh, well that's a that was a silly game. But it was it sure it sure fooled a lot of people. Now now one of one of the questions I have though on this is how do you tell the difference between your own sort of instincts or intuition and and the channeled message how do you know it's coming from from Michael and not just your own inspiration when I channel Michael the energy is so palpable that it just about knocks you over. It's very, very strong. And it's definitely not me. And sometimes when I'm channeling for a client in person, uh, at least especially by the end of the session, they see lights all around me. They feel tingling in their bodies. Um, it's, it's very, very palpable. Now, most channels don't channel a lot of energy. That happens to be something I do. And Michael comes through me very slowly and deliberately. My voice changes. Uh, I'm exhausted usually afterwards because of bringing in so much energy that is really not designed for the human body. Uh, a more casual channeling could be harder to figure out, uh, and, and some channels do a combination, like they're, they're c connecting with an entity and they're combining that with their own insights, and uh, it's um, more of a collaboration in that case. I see, I see. So what, what part of your life, was it, was it when you were doing the automatic writing, was that, was that your, your eureka moment? Uh, your epiphany where you said this there's this there's something real to this no because I had been communicating psychically with my spirit guides for years before that uh, I had started asking within for inner guidance and I began by getting yes no answers and that's parallel to what a lot of people use a uh, pendulum for so do, do you know about the pendulums uh, I don't think so. Why don't you tell us quickly what, what they are? Well, pendulum is basically uh, a string or a chain, and there's uh, a weight on the bottom, maybe a crystal, or I just used to <laughs> go to the hardware store and buy a bunch of, of hardware nuts and tie a, a thread to it. Right. I get the pendulum idea, but I'm trying to figure out how they're related to channeling, though. But, okay. Yeah, so people, often people will use a pendulum to get yes, no answers oh, from spirit. Okay. 
So, for example, let's say you go to a, um, a health practitioner and she wants to determine whether you need vitamin C or not. So she'll have you hold the vitamin C and then she might uh, muscle test you, which is one way of doing it, or she might take a pendulum and ask, is this good for Philip? And, and it'll go counterclockwise and it means no, or it'll go clockwise and it'll mean yes, or however you set it up. So uh, I started out getting yes-no answers. I didn't really use a pendulum very much, but um, that led to me getting more complete sentences from my guides and them telling me, you know, what to do and not to do, and, hey, that's not really a good idea to, to say that. <laughs> so I had my sort of onboard uh, editor to keep me from putting my foot in my mouth well, too much. that's sort of a helpful thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it helpful. was really helpful. Yeah. I needed that. I, I still did. I one of those, yeah. Um, and, um, uh, so I've been talking to my guides for years, um, and that conditioned my body that built pathways through my mind so that when Michael tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, remember us, it's time for us to start working together. Uh, I was ready to do it and I was not shocked. I was just th thought, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, that, that is, that is really, that's really cool stuff. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Channel Shepherd Hoodwin about Michael and Channeling. And now we like to, I like to move to the Tao, which some people pronounce, I guess, Tao. But, but in your writings, you're viewing the Tao as really the spiritual essence of everything how would you define it it's comparable to what religious people call the God within you it's the part of you that knows it's the part of you that looks out of your eyes when you're in utter stillness and says I am it is the core of our being it's the source right. and it's the part of us that's perfect so it would it would be so okay so some people would call that God and and I think you're using Tao to be a little bit more neutral is that is that what you're doing? Yes, I I personally love the word God. I, it has a real warm quality to me, but a lot of people go from that to um, a, a revengeful old man in the sky, Jehovah, uh, you know, throwing lightning bolts uh, and. That's not really a useful way to frame it. So the Tao is a neutral way because Westerners don't have a lot of concepts about the word the Tao. In my own cosmology, I actually define the two terms differently. I think of the Tao as the source outside the seven planes of existence, where, they, where the planes of creation spring from. And I think of God as the overall consciousness of the universe. Uh, and, and that's maybe a little hair-splitting for some people, but that makes sense to me because uh, each of us is a part of the whole universe. And the whole, you could say that the overall consciousness of the universe is God, and, and God is having an experience in this universe by experimenting with all these planets and levels and planes and multiverses. Well... First of all, I think one of the basic uh, principles of spirituality throughout the ages is that all is one. Very sort of routine statement, all is one. But if you accept that, then, then all is Tao or God, all is spirit, and all we're doing is calling the same thing by different names. That, that's, that's what we must be doing. And it, it maybe the name isn't important, but but uh, but the description is important. I think your description of the Tao was right on. I think it's a very I think it was very well put. Sort of sort of the inner essence, the, the you know the unity, the 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 force, the energy that that moves us, that unites us. And and then I think it's it's sort of not that big of a leap. To talk about well, what is the spirit doing? Well, the spirit, as you indicated earlier, is experiencing a physical plane of existence, 
and but that but that physical plane is not everything right and so i think that that leads to <laughs> us as physical beings sort of trying to get connected to the oneness which which to me is what spirituality is all about so so that so so i think that that's sort of the way i i'm looking at it you know i tend to be i tend to try, i tend to look at things a little logically but but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, particularly if I wind up at a pretty good space, you know, after I'm done with my little logic here. But um, <coughs> how does that, I mean, does that make sense to you? I mean, isn't, isn't it, doesn't it have to be the case that all is one for any of this stuff to work? Absolutely, yes. And uh, that is central to, to, to my view of everything, uh, that... Um, you know, what separates you and me? You know, you're in a different state, but we're connected by all the air that's between us. There, it's not possible for things to be truly separate. And so we have humanity, and all humanity is one thing, but humanity is inseparable from Earth. So, I mean, how could you separate those two? They're, they're interdependent. And then Earth is interdependent with everything else in the solar system. And the physical is interdependent with all the higher planes, even if we don't know about them or if we don't see them. So, uh, yes, everything is one. And whether you approach it intellectually, emotionally, or kinesthetically, you are going to come to the same place eventually if, you, if you're open. Now, now, you said something that I thought... Uh was inspiring in your book of course it wasn't the only thing but one thing that I I really took note of that I'd like you to talk a little bit about is that you you said something along the lines uh, that now is a good time for channeling because there's less noise out there and that we're in a planetary uh, I'm sorry a planetary transformation it's this planetary transformation that really gets my attention what do you mean by that We've kind of come to the end of the uh, end of the line for uh, our old consciousness. If we keep going the way we've been going, we will cease to exist on the face of planet Earth. We will ruin everything. Uh, we have developed too much destructive capacity, and at the same time, everything has been leading to a moment where it would be possible for human consciousness to take an exponential leap where we could become much more conscious of ourselves as being far more than these little egos stuck in a bag of flesh. Right. Uh, so um, it has to happen now and it is happening now and you and I are about the same age and I think we can both remember uh, even you know, 20, 30 years ago where all sorts of things that were very fringe are now mainstream. Right. And uh, I particularly think of people like Oprah Winfrey for bringing a lot of alternative information to the mainstream. And now you have her protege, Dr. Oz, talking about all of this holistic health stuff that never would have been on television even 10 years ago. And so people have so many more tools now for evolving. I think of back on my parents and how blessed they would have been to have had some of this information then that they could have maybe healed in ways that just were not open to them. There were answers, there are answers now that were not there uh, before. And some people, many people, probably the majority, will not take advantage of them. But enough people are that it's possible that human consciousness will get much bigger and much more uh, loving. And if this happens, I think we stand a chance of surviving as a species. Well, one of the things that I, I hope for is that I think that not only um, is, would it be good if we have this, uh, this, it, this evolution of consciousness, this growth, this rise, but that it accelerates. One of the, the uh, books I've just about done with is called The Singularity is Near by um, Roy Kurzweil and he he's he's a he's a fan of uh, saying that that the next stage of evolution is for is for biology to unite with computers so we're gonna be sort of hybrid 
creatures pretty soon, and he thinks when that occurs that computers are going to outrace the 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 uh, speed of the brain, and and will be evolving faster. I mean, of course, I completely disagree with that, although it's an interesting theory. But I like to move that concept into into what we're talking about now, which is that I I'm optimistic that as we have a greater a number of people um, seeing the benefits of this rise in consciousness, this greater awareness, this this depth of the uh, depth of the appreciation of being here now, that that it speeds up, that it's not going to take hundreds of years. In other words, that it happens sometime in our lifetimes, which is why, <laughs> which is why I have this uh, this uh, accelerating hope that it's going to happen faster than than it might otherwise do and i i don't know if that's if there's anything in what you've studied along those lines but but i'm h- hoping that that this is going to move faster than we think i believe that things are accelerating and they're accelerating in a way that freaks out the old guard who want to hang on to how things were yeah. and so there's a lot of uh, backlash so it can either be experienced as a very positive thing where we're able to uh, heal and change quickly or some experience it as a negative thing. But I think it is accelerating and I think it has to accelerate. And uh, things build on each other, so it is an exponential uh, increase. So as soon as there are more tools and better information out there, and I think this is the highest uh, uh, purpose of the internet is it, the internet puts a lot of junk out there but for people who are seeking there's information that people can get at their fingertips virtually any place in the world and so you you learn a few basic skills you learn how to uh, release your anger you learn how to heal your emotional body uh, you you quiet the mind a little bit you learn some meditation and suddenly you have a foundation to go way higher in consciousness. And 100 years ago, 500 years ago, you may have had to go off and live in a, a, a monastery uh, and have a very uh, conscribed lifetime in order to break through all the muck, right. to, to have a few moments of inspiration. And now it's just easier. You know, you know one of the most difficult concepts to define I think is consciousness uh, and I'm not gonna try to do it but one but one thing I think it does mean is I think it means openness to new things I, I think that having having a broader awareness really really is the first step uh, and a lot of it, you know what you just said is I think really important where in many in many stages of our lives, um, to you know, to read sort of a radical book, say Catcher in the Rye, for example, you know, uh, a child or a teenager would go in their bedroom, close the door, and read this. And 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 the same thing may apply to some of these new age mystical books. But now I think it's more open, and I think you I think you put your 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 finger on it. Not only has Oprah done a great service for for sort of opening minds and bringing, you know, these 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 open-minded, uh, broad-thinking folks uh, out on her show, like Elkhart Tolle, for example. But she also has recommended a lot of books, and uh, I think contributed to opening minds. And and then of course the internet completely agree. I mean, the internet is sort of like a metaphor for a one mind, anyways. When you think about it, it is. Yeah. I mean, and, and and I think it's really remarkable um, where everybody, particularly young folks, they need to be connected all the time. I mean, carrying around the PDA because they need to be connected with their network of friends and and maybe and maybe their soulmates, sort of sort of the you know, to bring it back to um, back to Michael. Now, uh, before I, I like to talk about um, a couple other things on channeling, but first, this is Philip Meriton. 
This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Shepard Hoodwin about channeling Michael. And I'd, I'd like to, I think we need to ask you a question a lot of listeners may be wondering about, and that is, can you, can you channel at will, or is there some light that goes on and you know it's time to do it? Yes, I channel at will, and I think most channels uh, will tell you that you at, at defined at the beginning that uh, channeling was basically a controlled inspiration. And so the ability to do it at will is really part of the, the definition. So anytime I want to channel Michael, uh, I, I go through a few steps to uh, prepare myself, and I open and I put in the request, and, and they come in. They're there. Um, I think there are beginners that have spontaneous experiences with it, sometimes at times that are not really convenient for them. But if they start to practice, they usually do end up being able to control it. I see. I see. I see. Well, one of the things that comes across again in your book and, and just in talking to you is that is that assuming uh, that you've um, received a lot of Michael's teachings, it seems like you have ingrained those into your own sort of intellectual landscape. Exactly. And so and so. So if I was to ask you, I don't know whether I should ask you or or Michael the question, but but, you know. A, a big question for for Michael that you probably that others have probably asked you is, for example, where 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 is the world heading? Why are we here? I mean, why don't why don't we try one? I mean, when when people ask you those questions, I assume that they have asked you those big or asked or asked Michael those big questions. What does Michael say to the big questions? We're here to experience. And why is experience such a good thing? It's because experience takes potential and brings it into reality. And experience is the raw material of our growth. And in a, a purely objective sense, all experience has value. So there are experiences that we personally would rather not have because they're unpleasant and some that we love having. But in terms of why we're here on Earth, they're all valuable. And what we're here to do, what, what every being in the universe is ultimately about, is expanding love. It's, you might say the Tao itself is love. It is uh, the, the essence of love, the potentiality of total love. And so the Tao created a playground called the universe. And we as sparks of the Tao come and play in this playground to explore different nooks and crannies of love. And so every, every choice we encounter is about learning what love is and what love isn't. So we make a choice based on love and we feel expanded and love gets to experience itself being something that it never was before. You know, if you go to your office that day, that that precise condition has never existed before and will never exist again. And let's say your boss is nasty to you, and then you have a choice. Am I going to respond in love? Am I going to be creative? Because the Tao is a creator. God is a creator. We're all creators. Everything is creative. So we're going to respond creatively and grow our consciousness bigger to be able to think of a way to respond to the boss that will be constructive? Or are we going to be pulled into negative reaction patterns based on our fear and our anger and, and whatever that closes down our experience of love? Now the Tao looking at that really doesn't care which one you do. Because if you shut down and you're learning what love is not, you've also just learned more about what love really is. So the motto of the Tao is it's all good. But we as conscious beings can choose to grow, to have our lessons be more love-based and therefore be more pleasant, more happy, more, more joyful. And so that is the purpose of studying a spiritual teaching, is to learn to make choices that are more conscious, more love-based, more aware. And that leads to being happier 
and feeling better. And we emphasize then what love is and love grows. But all those people who are, quote, evil and who are contracting their experience of love, they're also eventually contributing to the knowledge of the Tao. Because what love isn't, when it's contracted, when it's squeezed out, it sheds light on what love is. Because you can say, well, it's not that. You know, so right. it's all useful. Well, it's, it's so, it's, it's parallels, what you're saying parallels uh, karma, which I know you mentioned in your book, and obviously there's a there's the reincarnation component, and I and karma is such a is such an amazing concept, and it's so I think most people would probably agree that there's this thing called karma, and and this whole thing about how how you are enriched by contributing good deeds. And how you know negative karma may come back to 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 bite you, and and this whole uh, sort of vision that we are part of one karmic uh, being, that each of us is sort of contributing to the wellness of the whole. I mean, it's such a it's such an amazing concept, and you know something that old can't be can't be completely wrong. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. I mean, I don't think I don't think karma is completely wrong, and it, it, and and I, I think there's a lot of truth to truth to it. The other thing I want to point out here is that what you're saying about the about the purpose of of being here which is that to experience the playground of God or spirit. That happens to be exactly the same thing that another median said on the show about six months ago. And, and I'm sure you don't know him. And, and, I, and I think uh, because he's from South Africa, I mentioned him earlier, Anton St. Martin. That's in his book exactly what he said. And we talked about that on that show as well. And this commonality sort of also says it's like two scientific theorists getting the same theory independently there there seems i think there's some truth to it is is what i'm saying it's not as if um you guys are off coming up with um one of of a million different theories i think that when you actually sit back and experience uh what the world is about one spirit why are we here? We're physical beings. We're here to to experience life, to have fun, to enjoy uh, existence. I mean, uh, that seems to be it. It's very optimistic, idealistic, but I hope and believe that there's truth to that as well. And it's I think it's I think it's really exciting. Now, uh, do you do you have any regrets about being a channel? Do you wish you weren't one? <laughs> <laughs> so often people um, uh, end up doing things that were really very much their second choice. Uh, do you know who <laughs> Carolyn Mace is? Uh, uh, no. Carolyn Mace is a remarkable um, medical intuitive and teacher, brilliant, brilliant uh, writer. And um, she ended up being a medical intuitive, and she really resisted it. Uh, all the way, she she wanted to be uh, a publisher, a writer, right. and all, she does have books out. But it, it, it was like pulling teeth for her soul to get her to do what she actually signed up to do here. And um, there have been a lot of channels who said, "No, I want to do this." My dream was to write Broadway musicals, okay. and uh, uh, I'm pretty far away from doing that. But uh, I. I really couldn't be more satisfied with doing this kind of work because I was always a question asker. When I was uh, a child, I just really desperately needed to know what was going on down here. I don't think I would have lived if I didn't uh, get some answers. And uh, through uh, often dogged <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> persistence, um, I developed a lot of peace of mind where I feel like, okay, I can relax. I understand what's going on here. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but at least it's not confusing. Well, it, it's definitely something that you could probably say that you're following your calling. Yes. And, and that's, that's something that a lot of people probably aren't doing. 
and again another common question that maybe we could close with is you know is everybody potentially a channel or and if so if someone wants to figure out if they are what would they do everyone is potentially a channel but few people are going to feel called to do it and if you're not feeling called to do it you won't do the practice needed it's sort of the same thing as uh... well yeah you could argue that everyone could play piano but uh... how many people are going to uh, practice their scales every day so um, exactly you know i think everyone can do practically anything potentially theoretically but there's also the matter of what your skills are and what you're predisposed to and more to the point there's the question of what did you come on earth to do so it's not better to be a channel than to be a doctor or a janitor I mean, everything is needed if we didn't have all the different um, occupations filled um, we would have gaps you know we need someone who wants to do our dry cleaning and if someone is happy and comfortable in that that's probably an indication that that is correct work for that that particular person and not everyone is called to develop higher consciousness in this lifetime but those who are called to that won't rest until they find it well that's that's good i i want to point out here in closing that what we're talking about in my mind this concept of channeling spirits is is to me consistent with the spiritual and religious traditions we're talking about it in the year 2013 though and where we're where we tend to look at things through the lens of modern science which is really anti-spiritual and and it's it's really and I think our hope and I I may be speaking to Shepard too is that this becomes more of the norm than than some kind of sort of fringe uh, field of of inquiry so so it, it really is an exciting component and and one thing I wanna say about Shepard's book is that if you read it it is very rational it's meticulous it's logical and it, it's it's written by somebody uh, that clearly has thought about this and as you said earlier Shepard you were a questioner it, it's it's written by somebody that that just it doesn't fall for anything hook line and sinker it's it, it's written by it, it's written in a, in a in a very professional way and I think that that's one of the appeals of your book. So, so in closing, Shepard, why don't you tell uh, the listeners uh, how to get a hold of you um, to find out more about what you're up to and the various books that you've written. My website is summerjoy.com, uh, just like it sounds, S-U-M-M-E-R-J-O-Y. If you scroll down on the front page, you'll see a place where you can sign up for my newsletter, which is called Perspectives. And every month or two, I uh, put out a channeling and also news about books and so forth. And also there you can get links to buying the new book, Journey of Your Soul. I'm also the author of a humor book. We didn't Hmm. joke around much in this interview, but uh, I've written a whole book of, of metaphysical personal growth humor. It really is just humor about everyday life, too. It's called Enlightenment for Nitwits. Well, that's well, that's great. And and for those who need who want to find out what channeling's all about, I think starting with some of Shepard's work is a is a really good place to to do it. Uh, in the beginning of the show, I talked about Niels Bohr. You know, I started with modern with with modern physics, and I wanted to point out by that reference that one of the failures of modern scientific thinking, according to Niels Bohr was that nobody was coming up with a theory crazy enough. Another, another way to put it is that nobody has come up with a theory broad enough to encompass the full range of human experience. Uh, 
and we hope that I hope that science in the near future will have a theory of the universe that that brings in into the field things like channeling and the spiritual world because from all indications there really is such a place this is Philip Merton this is conversations beyond science and religion thank you Shepard and thank you for listening thank you You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Merriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.